You know, Pete was off just a little bit in my life's calling. He thought that I learned through meeting him that I was you know, going to go out and help people. Actually, my life's calling is Pete Larson. And so I have a lot of work still left to do. But it is incredible how life does come full circle, right? When you learn what your parents told you is true, never burn any bridges. Never burn any bridges because it always comes back around. And the fact that we were wandering away from Pearl Park together is, is amazing to me that we're here together again today, Pete. I'm honored. I'm always honored to be asked to share a word and to be asked to come back and share a word is even a bigger honor. So thanks for asking me. I appreciate it. I'm going to begin by reading from Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. For it was you, Lord, who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, O Lord, that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance, and in your book were written all the days that were formed for me when none of them as yet even existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. I try to count them. They are more than the sand. I come to the end, and I am still with you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. We have altered the definition of the word fear, and Normally, when I read from that scripture passage, I exchange the word beautifully and wonderfully made, but I want to recapture what it means to be fearfully and wonderfully made. And in our tradition, Martin Luther wrote a small catechism, and it was a simple explication of the basics of the Christian life for families to use in their homes so parents could do catechetical teaching and learning with their children. It was based on question and response for the purpose of memorizing some of the most important substantial parts of the faith. And after each of those definitions, 
Martin Luther would, at the beginnings perhaps, he would say, we are so to fear and love God, therefore. And the word fear means awe, wonder, that deep, powerful sense of awe in the presence of God. And now in today's world, imagine how uh, we use the word awesome <laughs> for everything, pretty much everything. Dad, I got an A on my test. Awesome, right? Maddie pooped on the potty chair this morning. Awesome. And if you're thinking of that perhaps in terms of what it actually takes for a two to three year old to digest Cheerios and milk and saltine crackers and turn it into fecal matter. Awesome. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I have been known to say in public settings that I am amazed with myself. I am in awe of myself. And before you think of that being an arrogant comment, and Lisa will give you the opposite side of that story anytime you decide to ask, but I am amazed at myself. If you're not amazed with yourself, you're not awake. 637 muscles. 212 bones. If you unravel all of the blood vessels in your body, they would go all the way around the earth two times. This is a creator with a design and a plan. You are fearfully and wonderfully made awesome. Every day when you get out of bed in the morning, new creation, new life, and you take in a breath and you begin again. You breathe in and out 20 times a minute, 1,200 times an hour, 30,000 times a day. Your heart beats an average of 70 times a minute, 4,200 times an hour, up to 100,000 times a day. Whether you know it or not, whether you pay attention to even one of those, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. If you're not amazed at yourself, you're not awake. I was interested to hear the song Rich was singing and you were leading. Your breath is in our lungs. Your breath is in our lungs. The word in the Old Testament is ruach, the breath of God. And the word in both Hebrew and in Greek is the same word for spirit, breath, and wind. It is the life breath of God breathed into you. In the second story of Genesis, it tells us that when God was creating humankind, God breathed into the man the very breath of life, and he took on life. 
In the first story of Genesis in chapter 1, we read that God placed upon humankind, male and female, God made them in our own image, God made them spirit and breath. So dear people, you have one purposeful divine design purpose in this life, and that is you are to reflect the glory of God. Pastor Walt Wangren, a Lutheran pastor who spent some time in a congregation in Gary, Indiana, a good Scandinavian Lutheran pastor working in the inner city of Gary, Indiana in a mostly African-American community of faith. And he shares the story of a time he was out on a visit with one of his congregants sitting on the front porch with the grandfather, the patriarch of the family. And while they were sitting there, a young girl, maybe 10 years old, burst through the door of the house, passed them while they were sitting on the porch, and out into the front yard to go play with her friends. And as she went by, the patriarch of the family said, that girl right there, she the spitting image of her mother. And Walt Wangren heard that, he, you know, spitting image, he'd heard that phrase used before, but he heard it a little differently in his African-American dialect, right? So he asked him, he said, Can you, could you say that again? He said, that girl right there, she the spitting image of her mother. And he stopped and he thought for a moment about what he'd heard and he asked him, did you just say spirit? An image? And he said, yeah, that girl, she just being an image of her mother. And for the first time, he understood the phrase, you are the spirit and image of God, scripturally referenced in the two creation stories. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. If you're not amazed by yourself, you're not awake. So remember that the next time that you sit still and perhaps watch a sunrise, which in January in Minnesota doesn't seem to happen very often, but just remember the next time you sit still and watch the sun come up and you have that sense of awe at the Creator. Just remember that sun looking at you and saying, check her out. Or when you sit still and imagine the expanse of a tree and you have that sense of awe at the design of the creator, that tree as it springs forth buds in a few months, they're popping out to take a look at you. You have one grand, divine purpose, and that is to reflect the glory of God upon the world. That was the reason to wake up this morning. I recall the story of author Robert Fulham, who went to a peace conference on the island of Crete, right off of Greece. And during the Second World War, the Nazis attacked the island of Crete. And they came in with all their military personnel and weaponry. And there they met in a small village 
villagers who carried only with them kitchen knives and haste size. So they were no match for the Nazis. And somewhere in the midst of that village was a young man named Alexander Papaderos. And as a result of his experience growing up in the midst of that war, on the very site where the Nazis had landed their planes, he built a peace site and held conferences for people to come from all over the world to learn about his mission for peace. So Dr. Papaderos, after a two-week conference, ended and Robert Fulham was in the room. And as is customary at the end of a conference, he asked, are there any questions? And Robert Fulham, being a bit of a smart aleck, raised his hands and said, what is the meaning of life? And there were those few little chuckles under the breath and they start gathering together their papers, their folders, and people were getting ready to leave. And Dr. Papaderos, looking into Robert Fulham's eyes, could see that he perhaps was sincere in his question. He raised his hand and he stilled the room and told everybody to sit back down. And they all sat back down and he looked and he said, I will answer your question. When I was a young boy here on the island of Crete, and our village was overthrown by the Nazis. One day as I was out playing with my friends, I found a shattered mirror from one of the Nazi motorcycles on the side of the road. It was in many pieces, and I picked up the largest of those pieces. He reached into his wallet. He opened it up and he pulled it out. It was about the size of a quarter, and it was now round. And he said, you know, I realized that if I could rub this against a stone or something hard, I could shape it. And I shaped it into the circle that it is now. And it became kind of a toy for me. I didn't have a lot of things to play with, so I brought this along with me. And I realized that with it, I could take the sun's light, and I could reflect it into all of the tiny places, cracks in the sidewalks, or perhaps into a dark closet. And I realized as I've carried it over the course of my life, it became a metaphor for my entire life. That it is for me to realize even though I'm not the source of the light, I can reflect light into the deep, dark places of other people's lives. And then he took the quarter-sized mirror and he caught the sun that was coming in through the window and he turned that little mirror just a slight touch until it landed on the face of Robert Fulham. Dear people, you are fearfully and wonderfully made, clearly designed by the hands of our loving creator to reflect the glory of God upon the world. When we pray together, we always begin by saying, the Lord be with you, and the response is, and also with you. And when we say that, I always think, the Lord be with you is more to me like the Lord is with you. It's more, and not just an invitation to prayer, but a reminder, God is with you. God is in you. You are the spirit and image of God to reflect upon the world. So the Lord be with you. Let us pray.
Um, so I have a few things to introduce, I guess. I'd like to introduce myself because I believe this is a relationship today, that you have come uh, to be in relationship with each other, and there's something of a relationship with a person who gets up to speak and offers some words. And I don't believe this is a monologue. It's always a dialogue because whenever we bring God's word in, it's going back and forth all the time. So I thank you for offering me your listening ears even before we begin. And, and so to hear Pete talk about when we were nine, year, nine years old playing football um, is to hearken back to all the things and all the people that have brought me to be in the place where I am in life. And I repeatedly say all of the best things in my life have happened to me, not by me. Everything I've ever really tried to do hasn't turned out very well or hasn't happened at all. And everything that has happened has really only been the work of God's divine providence for me. And I'm grateful and thankful to even have a chance to get up in front of you today. So thanks for listening. I did grow up in South Minneapolis. I was in the Kenny Park neighborhood and Pete was at Pearl Park. And we uh, encountered one another on fields and all over there, and then we ended up together in high school, and we played soccer together, and uh, since then, we have even grown in our friendship. What happens when Pete and I get together for a cup of coffee, um, it can turn into most of a day, um, because we just have so much in common, and when we talk about our faith and what we're trying to do, uh, we have so much that seems similar that we can talk forever. And so I, I, I think of Pete really as pastor of Family Fest. That's how I see him, because... His work is so much like mine. And we're both people that love to build community and see people to come together in Christ and connect to one another. Because I do believe what I already said, that we're far stronger together than we can ever be on our own. So that's the work of the church in the big C word of the church. So I'm grateful to be a part of that. After high school, I went off to Gustavus Adolphus College in St. Peter, Minnesota. From yeah, thank, Is there Augustine the Bunch? A couple got Yes! All right, we'll sing later. And, and then I went straight from there to Luther Seminary in St. Paul. But a powerful thing happened in college that happened to me, not by me. And that was the meeting of my wife, Lisa, because she wasn't at Gustavus College. She was at Augsburg College. And I had one rather wayward friend, and I'll tell you more. This story will be elaborated later on when I get into the marriage conversation. But one wayward friend who led me exactly where I needed to go. Is that, I mean, that, this is a person I shouldn't have ever been following. And I was following him. And so I ended up in the wrong place at exactly the right time. And I was at Augsburg College, and I met my wife, Lisa, and we've been married now for 31 years. So, Lisa, will you stand up and just say, she told me, don't make me stand up. But I, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing, and I wouldn't understand what I'm doing, and I wouldn't be anywhere near as grounded in my life without her. Um, she was born and raised in a pastor's household. I was not. And she has always known far more about my calling than I do, and she's the protector of my work. She's the protector of my soul, and I'm eternally grateful for her. Um, and then after that, I went off to work, and I started at uh, Mount Calvary Lutheran Church in Excelsior. I was there for 15 years. I went to Oak Knoll Lutheran uh, in Minnetonka, Plymouth. I was there for eight years, and now I've been four and a half years at Normandale Lutheran Church in Edina, so I've been working the western suburbs in a circle, and I'm on my way home, I think. Eventually, I'll be back in South Minneapolis, it seems, but the direction of my life has been to follow where God has led me, and I'll talk more about that later as well. When I thought about why did you come here, first of all, congratulations for being here. It's no small task, especially those of you I know. I saw a list of one- and two-year-olds over there in the other building, so those of you... 
God bless you because you are here. You did all that it took to get here, and that's no easy task. We now just jump in the car and go. And there are pluses and minuses to that reality as well, right? But so you got here. And so I started thinking about, as I'm talking with you today, um, why are you here? So I thought, well, perhaps you're here because Grandview Lodge is a wonderful place to be. It's awesome. Right? Or perhaps you're here because your spouse convinced you to come. All right? Somebody dragged you along, or someone invited you in a surprising way and you agreed to be here. Or perhaps you are here because you're seeking to reconnect with God. And you're seeking to reconnect with yourself. And you're seeking to reconnect with others. The key relationships in your life. The beauty of this retreat is that you have an opportunity just for just a stop, just to stop and leave something of the rat race of schedules. I mean, if you have anybody in youth sports, you made it here, right? You know what that means to stop a calendar that just races forward. And you have a moment in time so you can actually Take a look at your life in a full circle of that which is behind you and that which is right in front of you and even perhaps to imagine for just a little while what might be out ahead of you. Well, I, as one person in this equation of retreat, look forward to the opportunity to talk with you and share with you and hear from you about what that means to reconnect with God in your faith, to reconnect with your own self in your faith, and to reconnect with others as well. Uh, in the year 2005, January of 2005, 10 years ago, this month, um, I exited the cold of Minnesota for a 12-day tour of South India. And it's warm there in January. It wasn't exactly like a Florida trip to the beach, but it was warm there. And I went to India with four other men on a mission trip because we had a partnership at the time with a boarding school for girls. And it was a way for our congregation to help children gain an education who otherwise would have received none. And so we went over there, but it just happened to be in the month, one month after the tsunami, you remember, which happened the day after Christmas in 2004. So we had a really full experience of what it was like to be in South India with people who were suffering and recovering and coming from poverty and seeking education. It was a rich, rich, full life-changing experience. But the reason I'm sharing this part of the story with you today is that I learned something about myself while I was there. When you travel halfway around the world, it's fruit basket upset. So it is kind of like going back in to have a newborn child, right? So you don't, you're sleeping at all the wrong times, you're awake at the wrong times, everything's upside down, you're just kind of awake all the time. And I remember being there, and so I would wake up in the middle of the night, wide awake, and I didn't know what to do. And so I would just get out of bed. And I got out of bed, and I thought, well, I'll, I'll move a little bit. I'll sort of exercise. I didn't know what I was, I, there was no, you know, there was no club there. I wasn't going to the workout center. I was just standing in the bedroom. My roommate was asleep, and I would just start moving. I would just start moving my body because I just, I'm, I'm kinetic, and I've been kinetic all my life. And sometimes people tell me to sit down. 
and sit still, but I was never very good at that. So I would just get up in the middle of the night, and I'd be moving along. And then it would turn sort of into this prayerful movement. So I would think, I'm going to pray a little bit. So I would be thinking about my family halfway around the world back home, and what were they up to, and God take care of them, watch over them while I'm away. And I would pray, and then I'd think about the day, people I was going to. I had hours and hours of prayer between 2 and 5 a.m. And then the day would just start, and I would just keep right on going. And somewhere toward the end of the week, I was in the yeah, I was up in the middle of the night, and I'm moving, I'm stretching. I was starting to like learn how to do yoga all by myself. <laughs> and and I got home and I said, Yeah, do you do? Yeah, I do yoga. And what do you do? I said, I don't know. It's my own yoga. I just sort of get on the floor and I stretch and I bend, and I reach, and I see what my body can do. And it was amazing what God was teaching me through all of this because it it sparked this incredible interest in my. This is when I started becoming amazed with myself. It was in 2005 because I be I was I had so much time to just be alone in that. And somewhere at the end of the week, my roommate I thought he was sleeping the whole time, right? <laughs> so at the end of the week, I'm up in the and I'm moving around, I'm doing, and, and then all of a sudden, I heard this voice out of the darkness, and he said, oh, now I get it. I'm like, you move, and I sit. He went right back to sleep. That's all he said. You move, and I sit. And I've never forgotten it because I realized something incredibly important in my life. There is no one way to pray. There just is no, I grew up in the, the Lutheran church. You know, you went to Sunday school. Okay, okay, sit still, right? <laughs> sit, bow your heads, close your eyes, and fold your hands, right? This is how we pray. And all I could do, and my mind would go, I, I was hopeless. You know, it's like I, could I couldn't hear a thing. And I always thought that then I was supposed to say a bunch of stuff. Right, like God take care of my mom and dad and help me get that. thanks for the food and then you know and and then all of a sudden it just transformed it. It was like now I get it. It isn't so that I can tell everything God I need to tell God everything God needs to know about what God needs to do. Or perhaps I need to start aligning my own life with what God is already trying to tell me. It's not so that I can make an avenue to God. It's so that I might actually open an avenue so God has even a remote possibility of getting to me. That's what prayer is all about. And to be honest with you, the best, I can only really do that when I'm moving. My mind actually starts to slow down when I'm moving. So when we start talking about reconnecting with God, there isn't only one way. Because God uniquely crafted you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made in exactly the way that God intended you to be. Imagine that. Think about that. Live into that truth. And what does that mean for how you interact with God? And I also have a firm belief that God just can't wait to be with you. That's the prodigal son story in Luke 15, right? The father is waiting and waiting and waiting for the son to return. I imagine him with his nose pressed up against the glass window of the front of the house. He's been sitting at that window perhaps for years. And as soon as he gains word that his son is about to return, the father gets up and runs down the road to meet him. He's been waiting that long. God can't wait to be with you. But what do you need to clear out? 
How do you need to quiet? What needs to happen? When you have a one-year-old and a five-year-old who invade your life, take it over. Command every ounce of your being. What do you have to do to clear it out? Congratulations, you are here. If I may, Pete, I'd like to have them move into their small groups now. Did he just go out the door? No, he's out there. Okay, uh, that doesn't matter. I'm the pastor now. It's been a coup. All right? But I think you have some assignments, correct? So do you want me to call out numbers and say small groups and you can kind of leave the chairs where they are, even though they wheel and move well, and move to the spot where your small group is, and then we're going to post some questions, and then I'm going to come back, and then we're going to do some other questions at the end of this, okay? So, if you will, uh, small group number, how many are there? 